So uh, welcome everybody. A little brisk this morning, huh? A little chilly. It's all right. You're here. Diehards. God bless you. We love it. Full house on a chilly morning says a lot about your hearts. And so uh, just an update with Pastor Brian. Uh, he's doing better every week. Uh, yeah. Yep. He's getting stronger. Uh, he's getting more annoying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, he's been FaceTiming me and stuff, and, and really just being able to talk to him now and have a conversation with my friend regularly is a beautiful thing. And so he is. He's doing well. So just keep praying for him, and, and uh, you know, watching God move has just been beautiful. And I told him, if he doesn't hurry up and get back here, we were going to do the uh, weekend at Bernie's thing. I was going to bring him up here, and for those of you, if you know, you know. So, uh, so the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been focused on our vision for 2024, right? We've been talking about, um, you know, putting feet to our faith. Last year, it was all about going deeper. Well, now our direction is go, right? Once we go deeper, once we connect on a deeper level with the Lord and with each other, and then we take that with us. We don't just confine it to these four walls. That's not what this is all about, right? As you leave, you'll see the, the, the words over the doorways, now go be the church, Right, And so we take this with us. We bring the good news, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as we go. And so first I shared about going together, right? How we're called as a body to go together. And through the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, we see how Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, not just converts. And I think that's where we get caught up, right? A lot of the sort of Western culture or mindset is, is we're just trying to win people over with a, a well-prepared argument. But ultimately, that's not what this is about. The beginning of the walk is about conversion. But then if you look at the Greek when he says to go and make disciples, it's actually another word for teaching. And it's about living it out together. Right? It's about teaching by example. It's the way Jesus did it with his men. And so we're called to go and make disciples by doing life together, inviting them into your life, entering into theirs, and then sort of bringing them closer to Jesus Christ by showing them his precepts and what he looks like and how he loves and what he expects. Makes sense, right? Right? I mean, most of the stuff that we hear, you know, the, the statistics prove that if you sit in a lecture, you only hear about 10 to 20% of what you, you only retain about 10 to 20% of what you hear. So that means you guys are only going to hear about 10 to 20% of what I'd say today. So I hope it's the good stuff. That's all I hope. So through Romans 12, we read how Paul explained the purpose of us all coming together with our many gifts and abilities, right? To become the body that he called and created us to be. That's where the power is. It's in the spirit of God, bringing together the people of God so that we can do the work of God. And so when we're sewn together in Christ, when, when we're really united in him, I don't mean just showing up and getting excited because it's beautiful. And by the way, amazing worship set, right? Like, you know, it's beautiful to sing and to praise him and to feel that connection together, right? But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's taking the gifts and the abilities. And some of us, you know, and, and I'm not going to point at you because, you know, you know who you are. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, you've been holding on to these gifts and abilities that God has given you, maybe even exploiting them, right, for your own good. Because that's all you've known, right? It's about our personal agendas sometimes. But what God has said is, no, I've given you those things so that my church may have power and overcome the darkness wherever you are. And so that's what going together looks like. So it enables us to go together and forcefully advance the kingdom because that's what we want to do, right? 
we want to just plow down the darkness, right? That's how I picture it. I picture the church just rolling through the field of darkness and just tearing it all away with goodness and Christ's love. And so <clears throat> this, this last, week, uh, last week, I shared the story of Mark chapter 2, right? I, I, it was the paralytic man on the map and how he was unable to go for himself. So what had to happen was his friends had to go for him. And that's what it was about last week, going for others. And so they brought, they brought him to Jesus, and when they couldn't get to him because the crowds were so big, the room was full, the courtyards were full, they didn't give up. They said, all right, well, what else can we do? And they said, we're going to go through the roof, right? And they dug a hole through the roof, and they lowered him, they lowered him through it, and they brought him to the foot of Jesus Christ who then healed him. And because, it says because of their faith, God bless you, because of their faith, it doesn't say because of yours or his faith, it says because of their faith, he received a greater gift than just physical healing. He was set free from sin and given eternal life. I mean, no greater gift. And then he eventually did heal him physically, which he sometimes does and sometimes doesn't. But that that spiritual healing is far more important than the physical ones that we are typically chasing after. And they almost can become idols or get in the way of the healing that Christ wants to give us, the growth, the freedom, and all of those things. I just wanted to share sort of, you know, I've been saying this, and, and, and I'm sure you, you know this, and I pray it's palpable when you walk through these doors that you feel the presence of God, that you know that God is stirring here. Like, he's moving. There's no question about it. I mean, Pastor Brian was said it all last year. You know, something special is happening here within this body, but even more so now than I think it even was last year. I'm starting, you know, with Pastor Brian being down and everybody rallying together in prayer and sort of this stretching that's happening. Right? I don't know about you, but I feel stretched. I may not look stretched, but I'm going to tell you, I feel stretched. And I'm going to tell you, it's good. It's good. I'm in a good place. I have peace that surpasses understanding. Even on my worst days, even on the most challenging days, I just have this sort of calmness, this peace that God is here and he's doing something amazing. Right? Just to confirm that, I want to share this little story with you. So I preach about the paralytic man on the mat. Right? And then two days later, I'm with Pastor Brian. I'm in the, in the room with him. And of course, you know, we're bantering, going back and forth. And he's being funny. And you know, I'm, I'm calling him names. And you know, typical relationship that we have. And, uh, and so he, they hoist him back and forth between the bed and the chair. And they put a harness under him. And he was in the chair for so long that I guess the harness kind of rode up his back. And so you know, Finn and I were there with, with Becky. And, um, and so we try to pick him up so they can pull the harness out. It gets messy. I mean, it was hilarious. His legs are in the air. He's sinking down. He can't breathe. He's going, I can't breathe. You know. So I'm messing with him. I said, all right, Stephen Hawkins, calm down. So then, so then uh, we said, let's do it the old-fashioned way. Let's get him over to the bed, and we'll, we'll transfer him over. And as we're doing this, in the middle of it, I mean, I got goosebumps from head to toe because me, Becky, Finn, and the nurse were just picking him up like the man on the mat, and we walk him and push him into, put him into the bed. And man, how profound that God gave me that illustration two days after I preached about it. And I just start to think, man, it is literally happening. It is figuratively happening. It's spiritually happening. And God is in every little detail, isn't he? He just keeps showing up. So praise the Lord for that, right? So... <clears throat> So what I want to do this week is I want to wrap up this series by talking about the third way that we go, right? So it was going together, right? Going for others. And now this week, I want to talk about going alone, right? Sometimes we find ourselves in places or seasons where God calls us to go alone. 
Those seasons are usually short, though. They're usually temporary seasons, but they're just as vital as going together or going for others. See, maybe we're alone in our, our faith in our family situation, right? Maybe we're the only ones in our homes who, who are believers in Jesus Christ, and so we've got to deal with that opposition on a daily basis, and so we feel alone, right? Or, or maybe it's our workplace. Maybe we work in a workplace that is completely resistant to the things of God and your beliefs. Maybe you get mocked and made fun of or laughed at, or you get those little snickers, right, Jamie? Isn't that what God would do? What would your God do? Right? You get those. Man, everybody's worked in those places, right? Maybe you've been that person even. Might be in a situation also that arises unexpectedly. You might be in the grocery store at the checkout line and a conversation starts and God has put somebody or appointed something in that moment for you to say, to minister, to do, right? And so whatever the scenario, whatever the scenario is, and I'll say this over and over again, this is my end times theology as well, be ready. I think that's our biggest problem, church, is that most of the time we are not ready. And so what the Bible tells us to do is to be ready to be courageous, and to be bold, right? We stand before the Lord at the end of this life, and it's a short life, right? And we get to stand before him and answer for what we did or didn't do. That's what I talked about last week, right? I talked about the sheep and the goats and how the Lord will separate us based on those works. It matters to him. We don't earn our salvation, but we certainly should respond to it, amen? And a lot of times we just kind of sit back and we hit Christian cruise control and the rest of our lives just sort of look like us just kind of living this out with our religion and our faith in our pockets. But that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to go out and be the light of the world, he says. God calls us to go out and to reach the lost, the sick and the suffering. Last week we talked about Matthew 25, the least of these and who are the least of these? It's not just the marginal people in society, those who are obviously and visibly struggling, but the lost, those who are spiritually dead. And that's our job. We can revive them. We have a life-giving word that we can bring to people. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And I really think this is almost like a scripture that we could stand on this year as a church because it sort of talks, it speaks to this sort of go and who we are individually and as a church. It says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. And it says, do it with gentleness and respect. Right? So I want to break this down into these three parts right now and just sort of let you really hear the scripture for what Peter is writing, what's being said by the Spirit of God. It says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. First and foremost, it begins with this relationship, right? We have the, the sweatshirts at upward, right? Inward, then outward. And so first, what we do is we honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then what happens is inwardly, there's an excitement, right? When he's revered above all things and our hearts are close to him, then we will live accordingly and be ready to share him when the opportunities present themselves. And we'll be excited to. See, that's the difference. This isn't obligatory in the sense it's religious. It's obligatory in the sense it's the least we can do. Romans chapter 12, Paul says, this is your reasonable act of worship. That now that you've been transformed by a renewed mind because of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the least you can do is, is you can go out and you can tell other people, hey, guess what? And be excited about it, right? You remember that first love relationship? Who remembers that? 
right? Oh, yeah, arms are high. Well, yeah, I remember that. Remember the feeling, right? I remember, I'm going to go way back because there was no social media or cell phones when I was a kid. But, uh, but, I, but I remember the notes being passed, the letters, then they would turn into like five page. You're like, look at how big this letter is, right? She must really like me. And then you would wait for the phone call, and then you'd be like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. And then you would listen to each other breathe for like a half an hour. Do you remember that? And, and do you remember how excited you'd be to tell people, right, when you meet that person, when, when you've met that person that you really feel that connection to and that love for? And, and you know, and it starts to develop into something really special. You can't wait to tell your friends, can you? Hey, we talked again. Hey, we went out again last night. Hey, it's amazing. Hey, I've met this amazing person. That's how it's supposed to be with Jesus. We're supposed to get to this place where we realize that we have met the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world, the only way, the only truth, and the only life, who loved us so much that he put himself on that cross and endured what we couldn't because he loved us so much. And so the least we can do is reciprocate that love, right? And we should be so excited to tell people when those opportunities come. And then Peter says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, right? Being prepared to give a defense for our hope means we're not only ready to share our testimonies, but also prepared to share the hope of the gospel. And don't mix up the two. Sure, they can be told together, but there's one thing that I was told early on, and I have to remember, and I always say this, your testimony is not the gospel, okay? So be careful, because sometimes what we do is is we just get into testimonials, and we make it sort of about me and this, and and, and, you know, how I've done, and what, what God's doing in my life. And it's good, share the hope, right? Hey, I was a sinner, I was a drug addict, I was sick, I was dying, I went through a divorce. I get all that, absolutely. But you say, but then I met Jesus. Because it becomes about him. It's his story, not yours. He bought you at a price, it says. You are no longer your own. And so you are no longer your sin. You are no longer your grief. You are no longer your heartbreak. You are no longer your addiction. You are his. And so now you share the good news of the gospel that yet I was a sinner. Yet while I was still sinning, Christ came. He died for me. He loved me. He brought me back to life. That's the gospel. It says that only through faith we are saved. That God did all the heavy lifting. That all we bring to the table of salvation is our sin. And what does he do? He redeems it. He says, doesn't matter how far you've gone. Doesn't matter how dark your past. Doesn't matter how ugly your sin is. The blood is bigger. The cross is greater. Nothing you could do would overshadow that. Amen is right. Amen, it's right. That's the, the hope that is in us. That's how we ought to share it, with excitement. You ever hear Pastor Willie pray? Did you hear him pray this morning? That's the hope and excitement for the Lord. That's love. That's us crying out to the Father. It's beautiful. And then he says, do it with gentleness and respect. This is a hard one for some of us, isn't it? We're not necessarily or naturally gentle right? And so I've said it for the past two weeks, and I'll constantly say this. You will never argue or shame anyone into the kingdom of God. It's just not going to happen. Don't try, right? And I've said this too. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Ultimately, and social media is both a blessing and a curse, 
because it gives everybody a voice, and not everybody deserves a voice. I'll just hate to say that. Not everybody should have a soapbox. I'm sorry. But opinions matter, sure, and all that. But I'm going to tell you right now, if we're not being gentle and respectful, we're not representing Christ well. We're just not, right? Don't get in the mix with the dead. Don't, don't sit with the lost and expect the lost to see things the way you do. Don't get angry or disrespectful or even come across as spiritually superior because they don't agree with what you know because the Spirit of God is in you. It's not like you came to this intellectually. You came to this spiritually. And it's because God invaded your life, not because you all of a sudden had some intellectual epiphany. The Lord God for some reason, reached down in your muck and mire, and he said, I'm going to give you life. Just like calling Lazarus out of the grave. And so we ought to operate in gentleness and respect and gratitude and humility, knowing that I did nothing to contribute. I only needed my salvation. So I want to, you know, just sort of switch gears here for a second as we transition. I, I want to, who remembers grade school? Some of you are like, uh, <laughs> right? You'd be sitting there in class, you know, minding your own business, <laughs> probably paying attention if you were a good student, and if you were like me, probably not. And the teacher just randomly calls on you and expects you to answer this question, right? Hey, Jamie, what do you think of that? And I'm like, huh? And so the worst is when you get called on like that and you have no idea what the answer is, right? Isn't that the worst feeling? Especially when you're a little kid. I mean, your world's really small, and so the classroom is a big part of it. All your friends, your peers, and what they think of you. And if you're anything like me, most of the time you weren't paying attention, and for some reason you probably weren't even on the same planet mentally. <laughs> so you didn't even hear the question. You just hear your name sort of perks up your ears, and you kind of look with that blank stare and the teacher knows. I mean, I think they do it on purpose. Teachers are cruel. Sorry, Miss Deanna. <laughs> but it stinks when you just can't even answer that question, right? And, and then, especially if it was an easy one, too, and everybody else knows the answer except for you. You're the only one who does it. And it gets really embarrassing, and the other kids laugh. <laughs> Jamie wasn't paying attention again. Jamie doesn't know the answer. And you kind of feel like an idiot. And then there's this little more trauma that's added to your basket and maybe more promise for future mental health struggles, but that's a whole other story. But, but I, I, just, I just want to use this illustration to explain that it's, it's so important that we live ready because we never know when the Lord's going to call on us, right? So we can't be caught off guard. We have to be paying attention and walking in the spirit as the scriptures say. And when we walk in the spirit and when we're hearing that still small voice, when we're paying attention and he calls on us, it's not going to be like Jamie in the classroom who's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean? What do I do? We don't want to get caught in that moment unready. And so it's in the midst of this everyday life when we least expect it that the Lord calls on us and puts us in situations where we're expected to be his voice. And so it reminds me of the story of Moses. I mean, there's a bunch of stories of men and women who had to go alone or spend seasons alone, right? But Moses, you know, after 80 years of his life, 
was called on by the Lord after some difficult stuff and after removing himself and restarting and going alone for so long. Moses is one of the most prominent figures in the Old Testament, right? He was the man whom God had chosen to bring redemption to his people. Specifically, though, God chose Moses to lead the Israelites from captivity in Egypt to salvation in the promised land, a land which Moses never saw. Moses is also recognized as the mediator of the old covenant and is commonly referred to as the giver of the law. So finally, Moses is, in the, is the main author of the first five books of the Bible, which we know as the Pentateuch. And these books are widely considered to be the foundational books of the entire Bible. Moses' role in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of the role Jesus plays in the New Testament. We get to see sort of a foreshadowing of how Christ will come and save and free his people. And so the descendants of Abraham lived in, a, in peace for several generations in Egypt until a Pharaoh rose to power in Egypt. And it says in Exodus chapter one, who did not know Joseph, right? If anybody remembers the story of Joseph, I preached not too long ago, right? Joseph was brought to Egypt through his own difficult situation. And then he rose to power. He saved his family. He saved all of Egypt and the surrounding countries with, you know, storage and brains, and so he was revered for a long time, but now this new Pharaoh doesn't know who he is. And so this Pharaoh subjugates the Hebrew people and he uses them as slaves to build his massive building projects, to do his massive build. It's the pyramids as we know them. And no, it was not the aliens. Stop watching the Discovery Channel, people. <clears throat> because God blessed the Hebrew people with rapid numeric growth, the Egyptians began to fear the increasing number of Jews living in their land. Right? Numbers grow. It's like, uh-oh. So Pharaoh, what he does is he orders the death of all male children born to Hebrew women. And in an attempt to save Moses, what his mother does, what any good mother would do, is put their baby in a basket and throw him down a river. Right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just making sure you're paying attention. So the basket was eventually found by Pharaoh's daughter, and she adopted him as her own and raised him in the palace of Pharaoh himself. Right? So Moses, as he grows into adulthood, what happens is he begins to realize and empathize the plight of his people. God starts to work in him. God starts to open his eyes to what's going on. And, and upon witnessing an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, Moses intervenes and he kills the Egyptian. Uh-oh. Shortly thereafter, amongst his people, amongst the Hebrews, Moses attempts to intervene in a dispute excuse me, between two Hebrews, and one of the Hebrews rebukes Moses, and he sarcastically says to him, he says, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? And so now Moses is like, uh-oh, I've been found out. Right? So he realizes that this criminal act is known, and so he flees to the land of Midian, and again, Moses intervenes, except this time what he does is he rescues the daughters of Jethro from a couple of bandits around a well. And in gratitude, what does Jethro do? What any good father does. He gives Moses his daughter. It's weird times, just, just so you know. Babies in baskets, give you my daughter. And anyways, Moses lived there in Midian for another 40 years, and then comes the burning bush, right? Moses, 80 years old, Right? He's been living this new life he's created for himself, away from the palace that he grew up in, away from the people he came from, and God calls him unexpectedly to be his voice and to deliver his people. Out of nowhere, 80 years old. You know, that's beyond the average American lifespan, 
right? He's lived a full life, a lot of failures, a lot of experiences, maybe some victory there. He's had fortune, right? He lived in the palace. He had favor and education and ate well. And then obviously he saw the plight of his people and the God convicted that, convicted him. And so he also was rejected by them. And now here he finds himself alone thinking, all right, well, first half stunk, you know, I messed that up and I'm, I'm gonna start over. I get this new wife and kids and he just figures he's gonna go about his life, kind of like the rest of us do sometimes. Gets real quiet, real easy to fall into our comfort zones and our ruts and sort of just cruise to the grave. See, as God's people, we don't get to decide when and where God will call on us or use us. Again, our call is just to be ready and to be willing. We can run away, we can isolate, we can avoid that call like Moses did, or we can accept that this obligation and honor of going for God is far greater than any calling that we could ever receive. I mean, think about the nobility in that. I mean, sure, it's like when you have a child, right? For the first time, you realize, I'm responsible for this human being. It's kind of overwhelming a little bit, right? And you realize what a noble call that is. What a noble calling and and privilege, you know? Or, Or maybe to be a spouse, right? To be married to someone, to walk with them for the rest of their lives. Those are noble callings, but none more noble than to be called by God to go for God as Jesus has commissioned every single one of us to do. And I think a lot of the times what we do is we neglect that calling. We don't know how to do it or we're afraid to do it or we feel ill-equipped to do it. And so what we do is, is we sit and we wait and we do nothing. And years go by and time passes. And so we might achieve things. We might do well at raising our children or, or succeed professionally. But ultimately, that means nothing if we're not going for God in the midst of it all. See, I've often had doubts about my abilities and, and God's ability to use me. As a matter of fact, it's probably a daily thing. You know, who am I? Who am I, Lord, that you would actually consider me? Who am I? What did I do to deserve any of this? Nothing. Nothing. That questioning is well-deserved because who am I with the sinful life and sinful past that I have that God would even consider using a fool like me? I was a little loud, Mike. (laughs) Amen. Mike knows me. (laughs) See, I'm going to visit three common questions that I've asked and I've heard asked by others. And I'm sure many of you have asked some or all of these questions throughout your life, especially as after you met Jesus Christ. The first one is, is, who am I that God could use me? Who am I? Right? And the second one is, is, what if people don't listen to me? What if I speak and they just refuse to receive And then the third one is, is what if I don't have the right words? What if I say the wrong things? What if I don't know what to say when they ask the questions? Right? Sound familiar, these questions to you all? And so what I'm going to do is through the story of Moses, I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 3, and I'm just going to sort of read small portions for the sake of time, obviously. But I want to answer this first question. Who am I that God could use me? And so let's go to uh, Exodus chapter 3, and I'm just going to read verses 7 through 12 to you, so that way you can see where Moses is at. It says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, 
And I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. God says, I know what's going on. I know how my people are hurting. And trust me, it's not for nothing. It's the same thing with Joseph, that he had to go through what he had to go through. You know, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, what they did was, is they rebelled constantly. They created false idols constantly. They did things their way constantly. And so God would rise up armies, right? He would raise up an army or a nation and then bring them into captivity so that they would learn obedience and understand the, the, the gravity of being God's chosen people, what it means to represent him. And so, you know, Hebrews, we have to remember it says it's God disciplines those who are legitimately his, right? He disciplines those whom are his. And so if you're going through discipline in your life, don't hate it. Realize it's tough, but he's growing you through it and he's stretching you. And he says, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. God's saying, I have come to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that to that land to a good and from that land to a good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite and the that's it so now behold the cry of the sons of Israel they have come to me Furthermore, I have seen the oppression in which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and he says this to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people to the sons of, Is the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Amen. And then Moses says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I that you would even be mindful of me and consider me after all I've done? I ran. I've been in hiding in the desert for 40 years. And then God says this. He says, certainly I will be with you. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. <clears throat> See, here's the thing. It doesn't matter who you are. God can and does use anyone. He uses the fool to confound the wise, the weak to shame the strong, and he uses a bush to speak to Moses. Moses is literally talking to a burning bush right now. Sounds crazy. And that might be how it is for a lot of people. You might be sort of a foolish object to somebody else. And when the word and the authority of God come out of your mouth, it could confound them. It's not our qualifications that make this possible that God uses us, but it's God's power and presence in our lives that do. Right? The almighty God of the universe is the one who calls us and he will fulfill the calling. And again, I'll say it. It's only when we are obedient and we respond to that calling and allow him to use us that we are actually useful. And so if we're not seeing that happen in our lives, I can guarantee you it's not God failing at using you. It's the fact that you haven't decided to go obediently and be used by God. Someone needed to hear that today. Someone in the back of your mind is like, I want to do more. I've wanted to do more for a long time. I want to get more involved. I need to serve. I want to reach people. I want to make a difference for the kingdom. God is calling me to more. 
And then we just leave that thought there in our minds where it was spawned. And we do nothing. And so we become unsavory salt. Good for nothing but being trampled underfoot, it says, Jesus said. And so I want you to think about this for a second. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship, meaning he created us. He puts, when you think of workmanship, you think of skill, don't you? Time, intention, right? You didn't just throw it all together. We are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, what you are making of yourself is nothing com to compared to what God can make of you. You can get all the schooling you want in the world. You can, you know, listen to all the podcasts you want and do all, read all the books you want and better yourself and develop yourself. But you will still not even come close to the master creator who can create something in you that is far greater than you could ever create in yourself. And so we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. And it says that God prepared beforehand they were already there before we were even around that we should walk in them. I mean, what does that mean? God created us for a very specific calling and our job is just to walk in that calling. And a lot of us are like, well, I don't know what my calling is. I can guarantee you, I could tell you right now, every single person in this room, one calling you all have in common is to go. You are called to go, to make disciples, to reach the lost, to love the least of these. These are our callings. They're general callings. We're not exempt. Not one person in this room is exempt. And every single one of you have a testimony and experiences that help you to relate to specific people in this world that only maybe you could connect with. And that's why he allows us to go through these things. In 2 Corinthians, it says that right out from the onset in chapter 1. It says, you know, now to him, the God of all comfort, who comforts us as we go through trials of various kinds so that we can comfort others when they encounter the same or similar trials of their own. Right? So now you know their plight. It's like our grief ministry, you know? We get to meet this week. It's starting back up again. It's one of the hardest ministries in the world. Losing people you love is horrible. How do you go on from there? I can tell you this, it's not alone. It's not alone. Healing happens in community. So going back to this is what makes you and I special is not who we are. It's not. The world will tell you that, that your worth comes from in and of yourself, but really it's the fact that we are his, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work. We are special because we are his. And so to answer the question, who am I that God can use me? I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. You are fearfully and wonderfully made creation of the Lord God Almighty. And as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you are called and qualified to be used by him. That's who you are. That's who you are. And even though it may feel like you're, get, you're going alone at times, I can promise you you're not. We're just saying it, right? Just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, after he commanded us to go, he will be with us, it says. Lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. I'll walk with you step for step. 
until the end. And so Moses, so God says to Moses, I will be with you. You may feel like you're going alone, but rest assured, I'm walking with you. Every single one of us. And so the next question is this. What if people don't listen to me? What if I say what I need to say and they just don't listen? And you know what the simple answer to that is? Very simple. So what? That's on them. You're, you're walking in obedience to the Lord. You're glorifying God. You're, you're obeying your calling. You're rising up to it. And so if they don't listen to you, that's on them. They can't stand before God one day and said no one ever told them. You will answer for God for your works, and they will answer to God for theirs. Our job is to go and to do. And so I'm going to read in uh, chapter 13, verses 13 through 18 now. It says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore says to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations, Yahweh. Yahweh. I am he. And so go and gather the elders of Israel, and together, gather gather them together, excuse me, and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. I care. I have seen your plight. I am not, not paying attention. Trust me. And so I say, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and to the Hittite and to the Amorite and the Pezite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, to the land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the most important piece right here. He tells them all of this, and I'm sure Moses is standing there like, okay, I'll say all that stuff, God. But what if they don't listen? What's his, his original question? He says, they will pay heed to what you say. He doesn't say they might hear you. They'll probably hear you. He doesn't say, I hope they hear you. He says, they will take heed. They will listen to you, Moses, because I am sending you. I am. And this is how you will know that I am God. And this is why you will come back and you will worship me on this mountain because miraculous things are going to happen when you open your mouth, when you go for me. And so that's the call to go. There are plenty of messengers throughout history and in the Bible who were unheard, who were ostracized, ignored, and even ridiculed for the message. So you're in good company. You're in good company. See, our job isn't to be heard, but to do our part and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Our job, plant and water. Plant and water. Plant and water, and then you do that without condition. You don't just say, well, ah, this person will probably receive it. Oh, that one's definitely not going to receive it. You never know who's going to receive it. Nobody thought I was going to receive it. But I'm going to tell you, you go out and you plant and water. It says all growth comes from God. So we're just trusting the master to grow whatever is his. Right? 
Even the best gardeners lose crops, right? But rest assured, when the seed falls on good soil, it will grow. It will grow. So I want to share a story, a familiar one, out of Isaiah chapter 6. Right? Isaiah, the great prophet, right? He's in the presence of God. He's in the temple of God. And he's there, and his train, it says, fills the temple. And then you have the, the seraphim that are, that, are, that are floating above him, which is pretty intimidating if you haven't read about them with all their eyeballs and wings and stuff. You know? Not these little little tiny chubby baby cherubim with the bows and arrows. You know, nothing like that in the Bible. That's all man-made stuff. These are, these are powerful beings. And so Isaiah is there, this human, this small tiny human in the presence of God and his angels. And he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Whom shall go for us? Right? And I said, here I am. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me, he says. And then he says, go and tell this people, the Lord says, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And then I said, Isaiah asks, well, for how long? Because that doesn't sound too fun. Sounds like I'm probably going to have a hard time here. And, and that, isn't that us? How long do I have to do this? How long do I have to endure? How long do I have to pray for so-and-so? How long do I have to keep ministering to that annoying coworker? How long do I have to put up with my father or my mother or my sister or my in-laws or whoever it is that drives you nuts and God has placed in your life for the last however many decades? How long? And this is what God says. He says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined with ra and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken and through a tenth remains in the land, I'm sorry, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. And but as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Again, the seed has been planted and it will grow. Even that little tiny leftover piece will grow. A fragment. See, Isaiah made himself available and there was no reward or promise. As a matter of fact, the only thing that I see is that he was promised it would be difficult. He was promised that people wouldn't listen, that he'd be rejected, and that he was promised that he had to go until the end. But God just said, go. And so it's the same for us. You go until you can't go anymore. You go until the end, and people aren't going to listen to you, and you're going to be rejected, and the world is going to fall to waste. And you know what you do then? Just keep going. Just keep going. You don't quit, and you go no matter what, because the Lord is with you, he says. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you, and this is what I've called you to. I didn't call you to just attend church. I didn't call you just to read, you know, fuzzy and lovely books that make you feel good about yourself. I didn't call you to listen to a specific radio station or to swear less. I didn't call you to wear a t-shirt that has my name on it or a bumper sticker. I called you to go and to go to a volatile and a violent place that's going to oppose you and oppose me at every turn because it's a dark and fallen world. And I've given you hope. And it goes back to what Peter says, be ready to give a reason for it and be gentle and respectful 
because a kind word turns away wrath and because light shines in the darkness and because love always wins. Amor nunca falla. Amen. We don't go on the condition of whether or not someone will listen or hear what we have to say, right? We just go and we let God deal with the details. That's our job. And so to answer the question, what if people don't listen to me? My answer to you is simply this, don't expect them to. Don't expect them to. Many won't, and that has nothing to do with whether or not we should go, right? God will open doors, he will perform miracles, and whatever else it takes to accomplish his mission, not yours, You may want someone to be saved, and that's good, and you pray for that, and you press for that, but I'm going to tell you right now, if God wants it to happen, it will happen. It's that simple. Just go. And so the last question is, is what if I don't have the right words? What if I don't know what to say? And so let's go back to Exodus. We'll jump to Exodus chapter 4 and read verses just 10 through 13 this time. Real simple. Moses says to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in the time past, right? Nor since you have spoken. Moses is like, I am not a good speaker, okay? He says, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The rumor is, is that he may have had a stutter. We don't know. The reality is, is though he is saying, I do not speak well. And so the Lord says to him, who's made man's mouth? Right? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, that does all that? And I'm the one telling you to go. The creator of your mouth. Now then, go. I, even I, will be with your mouth, he says, and teach you what you are to say. And buddy says, please, Lord. <laughs> Man, I hate speaking. Right? How many people... I hate sharing. I hate praying out loud. I hate when people call on me. Right? Send the message by whomever you will, but please don't let it be me, Moses says. And I'm going to stop there for a reason because we know that God does make a concession for him. However, I want you to think about this for a second. It's not our words, but God's power that will accomplish his will. It's not how articulate you are or how eloquent you are or how charismatic you are. Sure, he can use those gifts. Sure, he does that. But that's not what the power is. The power is in him. It's in his word. It never comes back void. It never fails to accomplish what it was set out to do. And so uh, that's what you're armed with. Do you realize that? That God arms you with this? And I think a lot of the times that we go out to battle, we go out to war on a daily basis, we walk out into that battlefield unarmed. We leave our swords at home. We don't even have them on us. Can you imagine how foolish that would be if a soldier showed up for battle without a sword in his hand? He'd be like, uh, you might have forgot something there. This isn't going to turn out too good for you. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus tells his disciple, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What? See, that same spirit, the helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promises his disciples, is also promised to us. That same Spirit dwells in each and every one of you who have professed your faith in Jesus Christ. You want that power? You want to start to understand what it looks like and what it means to be intimate with Jesus Christ? And get on your face. Cry out to the Lord and say, I believe. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, Lord, I need you to save me. I believe, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I am a sinner, but your grace is greater, and I choose you today. And watch what happens to your life. Watch what happens to your life. So if we read further in this passage, we'd see how God provided a helper to Moses because of his struggles with speech. And his brother Aaron would go with him and articulate the things that Moses just couldn't. Now, how much greater is it, though, for us that we have the Spirit of God helping us, bringing all things to remembrance? How much greater? And it's, if that doesn't build our confidence, if that doesn't make us feel assured in him, then I don't know what will. Because that is where the power is. Right? Our job is to just get out of our heads and get into the spirit. I think that's the problem. Most of the time we're stuck right here. And we need to get and walk in the spirit of God. And we also need to get into the word too. See, I think a lot of the time we're so worried about what to say because we're not as biblically literate as we should be. And it's crazy because in this country, we have more access to the Bible and all of its components and concordances and commentaries than any other place in the world. It's an embarrassment of riches. You can go online. You can go on your phone. You can buy books in a bookstore. You can go to Amazon and grab them. You can go anywhere you want. You can hear people expound on it and flesh it out. Listen to podcasts, whatever it takes to know and to learn. And you know what? We're lazy, church. We're lazy. We do not wield the sword. We do not arm ourselves. And then we wonder why we keep getting beaten down. We wonder why we're fearful and afraid to step up boldly and courageously. If we know the word, then we know the message. And so think about this now. We have the spirit in us. We have the word available to us. And then we have a testimony of God's goodness. So we have plenty to say, don't we? We have plenty to say. And so here's my advice to you with those three weapons that you've been given. The KISS method. Keep it simple, stu uh, silly. <laughs> Keep it simple. Most of the time we try to complicate things or make them more complicated than they need to be. We talk about loving people back to life. Tell people how you were loved back to life. Tell them the message that brought you back to life. Right? And then tell them what the word says about them. See, so now, now to answer the question, what if I don't have the right words? You don't. God does. And it's not our words that win people, but God's power working in and through us that does. And so all we need to do is know the word, hold him dear in our hearts as holy as Peter said, and then just allow him, be willing and allow him to work in and through our lives so that when we meet people, 
They meet Jesus. What is it about that guy? Why is she so different from everybody else? Why are they so kind and forgiving and gracious? Why? It's peculiar to the world, isn't it? As it should be. Jesus was peculiar to the world. It didn't make sense. It contradicts everything they stand for. But God is different. And God's calling us to be different, church. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up. And I just want you to think about what I said as they play. I want you to sort of just kind of take a moment here of meditation on the word and a moment to sort of reflect that God is calling you to go. He's calling you to go together, to go for others who can't, to ask whose mat should I be carrying today? And he's calling you to go alone if necessary. And so what does that mean for you personally? Are you ready? Are you equipped? You need to spend some time at the altar this morning with the Lord and recalibrate your focus. Then go ahead and do that. That's what we're here for. Right? If you need to, to come back to a place where, where you feel that intimacy and that reconnection with the Lord, then so be it. And you do that right now. We're called to go, and sometimes that means going alone, going alone. And if we can't allow doubt and fear to steal that calling, then we need to be brave and courageous. See, Moses feared that he wouldn't be able to do what God told him to do, but God overcame his fears and objections, and God can and will do the same for us, church. So in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Be prepared to make a difference to anyone who asks you for a reason for that hope. And do it with gentleness and respect, church. But live ready. Let's stand, please.